0: Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us, for your grace, for your mercy, for your love, for your forgiveness. And now we just ask that you will again make your word plain through the power of your Holy Spirit. May our minds be able to focus, may it be clear, and may our hearts be receptive. In your name we pray, amen. I just had to throw this one in for fun. Somebody sent me this just a couple weeks ago. And the quality of the picture is not the best, but I'll read it to you. It's one of these things you might find in the church, a small bulletin board. And it says, evenings at 7 in the parish hall. Monday, Alcoholics Anonymous. Tuesday, Abused Spouses. Wednesday, Eating Disorders. Thursday, Say No to Drugs. Friday, Teen Suicide Watch. Uh, Saturday, Soup Kitchen. That says, Sunday, Sermon, 9 a.m., America's Joyous Future. (laughs) I thought that was interesting. whether or not that staged or not, I don't know. But I thought it was interesting. I thought I'd throw it, in, throw it in there since we're talking about the United States. Now in prophecy, and this probably goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway, the Bible doesn't tell us about things that are going to happen just so that we know that something's going to happen, right? It has to do with the, the great controversy, it has to do with his people, the church, and really, ultimately, it's to prepare his people for what's coming, for what's impending. And so we're not going to find who's going to win the World Series. We're not going to find some of those other things. But if, we're, if a country is going to be mentioned, it's going to be because there's something and some way it involves God's people and he wants them to know. Does that make sense? The Bible reveals spiritual things, not secular things. Um, so it's not going to tell us some of those other things that we might be curious about. So when a nation or ancient kingdom plays a significant part in the fulfillment of God's purposes, that empire is described by the Bible prophets. And so we're going to look here, I believe the United States is mentioned. We're going to go back in history a little bit. It was July 2, 1776, and they were gathered, where were they gathered? Anybody remember? Philadelphia. And they were one delegate short. They voted and it was a tie at one point and they were up in the middle of the night and trying to get this figured out. And one individual couldn't come because of weather. It had rained and the creek had risen. He thought, I'm not going to bother. But then he got word and he says, "Okay, I, I need to be there. This is obviously very important. They're divided on this issue. And so he really made a huge attempt to be there. The vote for independence was deadlocked. Um, tie vote. What are we going to do? And you might be thinking, I thought it was July 4. Well, they made some revisions, and they finally finalized, but they actually signed July 2. You knew that, didn't you, Denise? Of course you did Okay, <clears throat> so this individual quickly rushed over there, and uh, others were peeking through. In fact, the story is told that one older man sent his grandson to go peek through the keyhole there at Independence Hall to find out Will they or will they not sign a document? And what did they do? They signed it. What would have happened if the vote was no, it's not? Would they have signed it later? Would we be, uh, well, I guess we wouldn't be independent, perhaps, is the possibility. But the word came out, yes, they signed it. Ring, Grandpa, ring for liberty and the Liberty Bell, and so on and so forth. The United States Constitution guarantees both civil and religious freedoms to all of its citizens. So that was a very foundational uh, time in the history of this country. What city was it? Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Just tuck that away. We might come back to that. Um, Will these historic freedoms ever be challenged? Oh, man, that's a little bit of a trick question, isn't it? Maybe it should read, are these historic freedoms being challenged today? Mercy, mercy, mercy. Um, Does the Bible mention the United States in prophecy? And that's another question we're asking. So wouldn't it be strange for God to, to raise up a nation committed to the ideal for democracy and not to mention that at all in Bible prophecy? I mean, think about that. The United States is very unique, and others have kind of followed suit with that, but they were very unique. We were very unique when we were raised up in terms of separation of church and state. And so it only makes sense that if, if that is part of, of where God wants people to be, to have religious freedom and all those types of things, that the Bible would mention it. So <clears throat> uh, we're going to go to Revelation here in a minute, but just a little review. Uh, we have Babylon. Babylon. And is brought into view in Bible prophecy because it attacked and overthrew God's people. Therefore, we have that beast in prophecy. Medo-Persia would overthrow Babylon and let God's people go free. So that's something that we find in prophecy. Uh, Greece uh, united the empire under one common language. And that's significant. What language is the New Testament written in? Entirely in Greek. So that is a a big part of, I think, why Greece is mentioned. Uh, Then Rome. Jesus was born in the days of Rome, and we've been talking a fair bit about that. And then church-state union under the Roman church in the early centuries, uh, compromised truth, persecuted God's people, and we've talked about that as well. So all of these had a piece to play, a part to play, and therefore they're mentioned in prophecy. But now we're going to go to Revelation. We're in chapter 13. We looked at the first part of Revelation 13 on Wednesday. See if I can get my nights right tonight. On Wednesday, we looked at that. This is Friday. I'm just reviewing for myself here. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. We talked about the first beast. We talked about how it was the papacy, how it would think to change times and laws and all these various things. And then I saw another beast in verse 11 coming up out of the earth And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. So we have here another beast. And of course, here's our verse we've been using that uh, beasts oftentimes signify a kingdom. Um, And Daniel, the book of Daniel tells us about that. We've looked at various beasts, various kingdoms, uh, and how they represent nations. Uh, Revelation 17, 15, we've looked at this before. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw are... Peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So this is, again, review. But does this power come out of many waters? No, this power said it came up out of where? The earth. So you might think it's a stretch, but really if if we have many waters as people and if we have earth or dry ground, it's kind of an opposite, isn't it? You have one emerging out of a very populated area and you have another emerging out of a not so populated area. And really, if you think about America in prophecy, when people arrived in America, there was a lot of earth and not a lot of people. I mean, there was this vast countryside and there were times in this nation where, what was it, the Oklahoma land rush or something like that, where they pretty much lined everybody up. They said, go, and the most, or any land that you could, it could, uh, what, you put little flags in the ground or something, that was yours. You didn't have to pay anything. I would love for something like that in western North Carolina. <laughs> Maybe it's because I don't own a bunch of land. Those of you that do, you wouldn't like me coming and staking, I want this one. <clears throat> but there was a lot of earth. So let's look at some questions about the beast. Where does this power arise? Um, then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. Um, so this new beast comes out of the earth or a sparsely populated area has anybody ever been to Tetons I think I want my house right there that's where I'm going to put my flags so we have a new nation that's another thing that's unique about this it's not overcoming it's not trying to uh, conquer or it's not being conquered or anything else but it's arising up out of the earth so we have a new nation when does this power arise well that's another good question We were in Revelation 13. Remember, we started in chapter, not chapter, but verse 11. This is the verse right before. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. What was that referring to? Remember on Wednesday night, we talked about the papacy and how it had supreme power for 1,260 days. You remember that? And then, Berthier, Napoleon's general came swooping in and... He went into captivity and died in captivity, and that was the deadly one and all those kinds of things. Anybody remember the date that that happened? 1798. 1798. I'm impressed. Good job. So if that is what's happening here in verse 10, it would only make sense if this beast is emerging in verse 11 that we're talking about more or less the same period of time or time frame. I mean, following that, right? Wouldn't that make sense? Um, and so we talked about some of this I'm going to skip through this this is interesting I didn't mention this on Wednesday night but uh, the papacy as the Antichrist and we've visited that already but think about Jesus' ministry here on this earth was how long? three and a half years if you take 1,260 days it's the same as 42 months or it's the same as three and a half years virtually all the same and so here this Antichrist has full reign and full power for three and a half prophetic years, or, you know, you, you put out all the days and all of that. So I think it's kind of interesting. And then it has the deadly wound. Jesus was crucified. And then that, moodly, more, that mortal, mortal wound, what is it? Something like that? Uh, heals, right? And so he, he kind of, I don't want to say fakes a resurrection, but he has his own resurrection. So, we have this Antichrist kind of paralleling everything that Jesus was doing. But if I confuse you with that, don't worry about it. Um, but that's just for free. So, here's Berthier taking the Pope into captivity. Um, and so, if that's in 1798, this new power in verse 11 is going to be about that time. Let's look at U.S. history a little bit 1776, Declaration of Independence. We're familiar with that date, 1787, Constitution is voted, 1791, the Bill of Rights, 1798, United States at that point is clearly recognized as a world power. So these aren't, you know, we're not looking at exact dates, but by the time we get to 1798, America is in fact on the scene, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So those two, I think, match quite well. Thirdly, how does this power arise? Then I saw another beast uh, coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. Two horns like a lamb. Really, there's no crowns mentioned on the horns of the second beast. What would crowns signify? First beast had crowns, and then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns. So crowns indicate kingly authority. Obama doesn't walk around with a crown, does he? No. Is he a king? No. no. We're in a political season and everybody that runs for president always talks like they're going to be the next king of the United States of America. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to change this, I'm going to change that. Do they have ultimate authority? No. They don't. Do they have influence? Yes. Are they part of it? You know, but there's all three of these branches that have to work together and there's veto power and all kinds of things that go into this. But we don't have a king. So, in that sense, we're quite different. So, the absence of crowns indicates freedom. Horns are a symbol of power. They indicate that this beast derives its power from political, one horn, and religious freedom. Okay? So, little review. A lamb-like beast arising around 1798, we've established that. Arising in a relatively unpopulated area, we've established that. No crowns on its horns, we've looked at that. Uh, The new world compared to the old world, G.A. Townsend, 635, he says this, The mystery of her coming forth from vacancy, like a silent seed, we grew into an empire. You stop and think about that. You know, oh, let's not worry about them. They're so far away. We don't have to worry about them. It's pretty incredible when you think about what's happened on this soil. Quite incredible. Uh, I don't think anybody foresaw this happening, um, but it's happened, hasn't it? Emerging amid the signs of the earth, adding daily to its power and strength. This is from Daniel and Revelation, Uriah Smith. Uh, He wrote those words. So number 4 it would be a young nation. Number 5 it would rise to a position of worldwide power and influence. Is that the case? Yes. I think it is. And so what is the only nation that fits this description? United Tanzania? States. Australia? United States. United States. She says that while she's eating her food like it's no big deal cuz it's not. <laughs> right? That's right. It's plain right? All right. I have my witness right here. She's eating her potato skins, I hope. (laughs) The United States of America. Uh, I don't know. Has anybody been to the top here? Are they still doing that? No? Just started again? I haven't done that yet. Keep ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send those, the homeless, the tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. I'm not so sure those are the words of Donald Trump. I'm not sure if he said that. Um, but that's what we have here on the Statue of Liberty. Um, Continuing on in Revelation 13, I'm just going to back up and review a little bit. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns. What are the two horns again? Political and religious. Like a lamb. Seems harmless. Oh, cute little lamb. ba ba, But spoke like a? Dragon. Dragon. Watch out. And how does any nation speak? Well... Through its laws, through its legislature, all kinds of things. Uh, This is a a new picture. Bigotry disguised as religious liberty. It's still bigotry. They like that word, don't they? Bigotry, bigotry, bigotry. You're worried I'm going to talk about? I'm not going to talk about bathrooms. I promise. I'm done talking about bathrooms. (coughs) Oh, I'm not. (coughs) Sorry, this just happened this week, though. April (laughs) 19th. Federal appeals court sides with transgender teens, says bathroom case can go forward. I'm so sorry. A federal appeals court in Richmond has ruled that a transgender high school student who was born as a female can sue his school board on discrimination grounds because it banned him from the boys' bathroom. Bigotry. Now, I would think a lot of these things we could figure out other ways. If I'm a homosexual and I need a cake baked for my wedding... And somebody has religious convictions opposed to that. I would think I could go to the next cake baker, and I would think there 'd be cake bakers that might even put a rainbow in their window and get more business because of my convictions. I would think there's other ways around it, as opposed to laws legislating. you have to bake a cake. you have to take their pictures. you have to you see what I 'm saying? I would think something like this there's a way without legislating as well okay we 're going to have. Uh, a neutral bathroom, a family bathroom, whatever you We have those, right? But no, we're going to sue because they're dim- discriminating. Oh, my. Does the book of Revelation describe the events that will lead up to this erosion of religious liberty, this union of church and state? Well, we wouldn't ask the question if it didn't, would we? And he exercises. Now, this is a sobering verse right here. Buckle, you know, fasten your seatbelts. And he, this beast, exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And we established Wednesday night, who's the first beast? Not by one or two or three, we had a host of reasons why it represented the Catholic Church, the papacy. And so this new beast is going to exercise all the authority of the first beast. And we talked about persecution being one of those, didn't we? Of the saints for a period of time in his presence, and caused the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. Three angels' message is all about worship, right? Whose deadly wound was healed. Has the deadly wound healed? Has Revelation been talking about how it's going to be worship and worship and worship? Did I not tell you if you weren't quite so sure about the Sabbath and thought we were crazy to just put it on the shelf? And On Wednesday night, I almost said last night, Wednesday night we pulled it off the shelf because here we have this idea of worship becoming a huge deal at end time, our time, our country. And so we better take that thing called the Sabbath and we better pull it off the shelf. We better look at it real close because this idea of worship is huge. And who we're going to worship, whose deadly wound was healed, church and state union, People say that's never going to happen. This whole country was founded on the separation of church and state. That's never going to come together. And people have been saying that for a long time. And I don't know of any time in our history that it seemed more inevitable than now. I'm not wishing for it. I'm not wanting it to happen. I'm not trying to be the voice of doom and gloom, but I am trying to interpret Bible prophecy correctly. And if I read this correctly, it's saying it's going to happen. It's going to do the same thing and point to the the first beast and all those types of things. You look at some of the the symbolism that you have there in in Rome and in the United States, this obelisk, uh, and then before that we had the pictures of our Capitol building and um, the Vatican. Looks awfully similar. Are we basing it all on that? No, but it's interesting to me. This was a, a huge thing that happened just last year. Pope visits America. I mean, we rolled out the red carpet. Unprecedented. Where did the Pope go? Well, first, he went to the White House to meet the president. Is he important? Yes. Yep. So we're going to pay tribute to the president. And they went there, and they greeted him at the, at the airport, and they smiled and laughed. Here they are in front of the White House. Um, standing next to each other here. Obama is is looking and listening and maybe even clapping here, Um, waving there from the balcony. Uh, Unprecedented, really. Then he went to the U.S. Capitol. Joint session of Congress. Have you ever been invited to a joint session of Congress? Would you believe me if I told you that I was going to address the joint session? Later this session, you wouldn't believe me? I wouldn't either. It's a big deal. This is a big deal. We haven't seen this before. Here's a different angle. Are there a few important people in the room? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, the House, the Senate, and then down here, you probably can't see it, but here we have the chief justices even, right here. Right there on the front row. Interesting. Even made Boehner cry. Right. And if you watched any of those interviews, he said, that, and, and the Pope is, you know, he's doing some amazing things. He's very busy. He's very active. He's the people's Pope. We talked about that last night. And he told John Boehner, he said, pray for me. That's what he said. And he talked about that in an interview. And he broke down again. He says, of all people, the Pope asked me to pray for him. Precedence is, is kind of a big deal, by the way. Uh, as a parent, or in a business, or whatever it is, you have to be careful setting precedents, right? Yeah. If we serve meals at one of these means, we're going to have to do it every time, right? Yeah. Amen. Okay. <laughs> don't don't say don't don't be listening over there. Again, we'll, we'll give him a break first. <clears throat> so after that, he went to the United Nations in New York to a General Assembly. Anybody here been invited to speak there? No. So he got on a plane, and he went there. This is, again, interesting to me. A few important people there. Just a few. Um, And he's addressing everyone. Then he went to Philadelphia. What's the significance of Philadelphia, or one of the things, anyway? Yeah, that's where everything happened in this country. That's where we declared independence. Birthplace of the United States. And so he jetted over there. Look at all these people that show up. Wow. I think if I went to Philadelphia, I don't think all those people would show up. That's a lot of people. And here he is in front of Independence Hall, or they even call it Independence Mall, that whole area, and he's addressing everybody and all that kind of thing. Big, huge fanfare, even, even shirts. I think this is supposed to mean love. I love Pope Francis. Does anybody have one of those shirts? <clears throat> I don't know. Show the Pope some love. I tell you what, Revelation 13, 11, And he all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now, we're not quite there yet, but man, are we laying some groundwork? Yeah. We're laying, laying some significant groundwork. In fact, last I checked, there's only a quarter of the population that's Roman Catholic in the United States a quarter but that's I don't know a lot a lot of people are, are much more open to the Pope and have all kinds of respect for him because of the things that he's doing Uh, He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Now, some people say, oh, that's an atomic bomb or something else. No, I don't think it is. We need to use the Bible to interpret itself. Really fire, the first mention, the rule of first mention is you have that cross as Adam and Eve are left or or asked to leave. Um, Or it's not a cross. It's a fiery sword, isn't it? So you have a fiery sword that's bearing them from the Garden of Eden. There you have the first mention of fire. You have fire in the Old Testament sanctuary. Uh, before that you have fire, the burning bush where Moses says take off your shoes you're on holy ground so all of these things are the presence of God right and then in, in the sanctuary this is the Ark of the Covenant and here you have the cherubim and right here is the Shekinah glory how do you describe it I don't know but it's like fire right And so we're talking about the presence of God, I think, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. And so he's convincing everybody that he is God, that this is the real deal, that God is the one that's saying all these things. So let's imagine this Scenario here, we have social problems, we have drugs, we have sexual immorality, we have economic uncertainty, we have rising crime, natural disasters. So while all of that is heading south, we have an individual, a key player in the world, not just his country, heading north. And at some point, this is gonna, the bottom's going to fall out, and they're going to be looking for anybody, somebody, to give us some direction, And if the bottom falls out on the world scene, we saw not that long ago how when when America falls, the others aren't far behind. We're a very interconnected economy now. And so when the bottom falls out here, really the bottom falls out everywhere, who are people going to look for, for answers at that point in time? What world leader? And when he speaks... And people are listening. He's building their, their confidence in Him and what He stands for and all these things. He's pulling everybody together. Um, I tell you, I think it's, it's uh, certainly setting up quite nicely to do exactly, which shouldn't be surprising to us, should it? Does God know? Is He guessing at the future? I don't think He is. So telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. So to make an image to that first beast who was wounded by the sword, had that deadly wound, but lived. You with me? And we're going to make an image to that beast. And we talked last night about this image, their mark of authority. We talked about the seal of God and the mark of the beast, right? And so an image, I think we have a slide about this what is the image to the beast? An image is a likeness of. You could even say this right here is an image of, if this is a real animal up here, this would be an image, right? And so we have something very similar, a reflection, if you will. So church and state will unite to enforce religious practices. And if the Pope's going to be the, the head honcho, the main speaker for all of this, which I think he very well could be, I think I could even say will be, And if he's going to point to a sign or a mark or an image, what will it be to try and pull everybody together? Could it be the Sunday? It's it's worked before. It's brought people together before. A common day of worship. And when all hell breaks loose, I can hear people saying, we need to get back to God. God. We have made some decisions in this country. We are going in a direction in this country. There's so much lawlessness in this country. Everything is out of control. I think the things that have happened are a judgment of God. And what if you have the endorsement of the Pope saying, these are a judgment of God? We need to get back to God. We need to come back to a common day of worship. Could it happen? I think it certainly could. And the Bible, I think, makes a very strong case for that. Does the Bible give any indication of end time events in light of this union? So events surrounding this union, Revelation verse or chapter 18, excuse me. Her sins have reached to heaven, it says in 18.5. Um, and so you have, you know, false revivals and all kinds of various things happening. She has lived luxuriously. Um, I think you could certainly say that about our country. If you don't believe me, just travel the world. You'll come back feeling rich. Doesn't matter what you make, you'll come back feeling rich. Number three, she experiences natural disasters. We see that happening, certainly. God's judgments begin to fall in the land. And we also have in Revelation 18, her riches come to nothing. So we have spiritual decline, natural disasters, disasters, social chaos, economic difficulties lead up to this church and state union. And I believe it's going to be from the bottom up, not from the top down. And there's a scripture for that. I'm not sure if we're going to cover it tonight or not. Uh, I think we're going to, so maybe I'll try and hold off. But we've already seen that with a lot of things that the Supreme Court has done. Give us what we want. And because of the demand of the people, all of a sudden this thing that said, no, 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 oh yes. What's changed? Demand of the people. The thinking of the people the way the media is impacting. You know, there's all kinds of things, but it's really the popular demand. So Satan takes advantage of this situation by introducing a false spiritual revival. False spiritual revival. It looks genuine, sounds genuine. They're worshiping God. They're not worshiping the devil. They're worshiping God, but it's a false revival. It's not based on God's word fully. So he performs... Great signs back in Revelation 13, talking about America again. Great signs that he even makes fire come down from heaven. This is this false revival, if you will. The presence of God. Who cares about this tiny little Adventist church over here that says they have the truth? We have the power. We have our parking lots filled. People are coming in groves. Everybody loves what we're doing. We're having healing services and and performing miracles. And and our services are so charismatic and incredible and amazing. Everybody loves it. You get the picture? Who cares about this little church over here? We have fire coming down from heaven. We have the presence of God in our midst. And it's going to sound good. It's going to look good. And it's going to be, man, I, I just don't know. It's really hard to go against the flow. It's hard to go against the masses. Even makes fire come down from heaven and the earth in sight of men. This proof of we have God. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth. If he's deceiving, this isn't true fire. This isn't the true presence of God, is it? It's the false fire, the false presence of God. He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. And so we have false religious revivals. Revelation chapter 16, verse 14 for they are spirits of demons performing signs or miracles which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty and two verses later it says to the battle of Armageddon. So here you have this false revival, you have false miracles, you have all of your senses being tantalized if you will. What you see, what you hear, what you feel All of this is just being so hyped up. This has to be God. I believe God wants to remove feelings from us. I used to think that if I was close to God, I felt close to God. Now, God does give us feelings, and when we first come to him, oftentimes it's accompanied with feelings, and that's not bad. But this idea, if I don't feel close, then I'm not close that can get us in trouble. It really can. There was so much of the time, especially those closing hours of Jesus' life, he didn't feel close. But by faith, he continued to trust in his Father. He felt so distant and disconnected as he was experiencing that second death. But by faith, he hung on. And it wasn't because of his feelings. His feelings were saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of you here may be going through situations in life where you're saying the same thing. My God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? I don't feel like you're close to me at all. And that's when it gets challenging, and we have to say, we have to read those passages, and we have to trust, and we have to believe, and we have to stand on those promises and say, God, I know I don't feel it, but this is what your word says, and I'm going to claim it. By your grace, I'm going to claim that power and I'm going to pray this passage back to you, right? I will never leave you nor forsake you. It feel, I feel forsaken, but I know your word says you never will. You see what I'm saying? And so in preparation for this deception, we have to allow God to wean us from our feelings and build our faith. And that can be a very, very, very challenging thing. But at the end of the day, maybe the day isn't the right thing, at the end when Jesus comes, let's put it that way, I would rather have God allow my faith to be built through tests and trials so I overcome when He comes as opposed to me getting weeded out then because I had this wishy-washy feeling, feel-good faith. Are you with me? So there's all kinds of questions I know people have in this room. Why did God allow this? Why did God allow that? Why did God allow to have our our last child be born with this crazy disease? He could die at any time and our future is uncertain. I don't know, but I know it's building my faith. And I know God is is bringing me closer, drawing me closer to Him and having me trust Him more and more and more through this experience. And He's building that faith, I think, for a time such as this. Because when you have been tested, that's what the, the military does. They know that. Why do you think they have boot camp? They put you to the limit. On accident? No! They like practically kill you. And if you want to be a Navy SEAL, you have to like literally drown, and then they have to bring you back to life and all this crazy stuff. If you want to be a cop, you have to be tased and I had a friend who had to do that for 30 seconds. And the whole idea of boot camp is what doesn't kill you makes you what? Stronger. Stronger. So if you have a trial in your life, praise God. Praise God. I'm not saying God sends you the trial. But I think he allows trials to come. And if we allow, that will bring us closer to him. You with me? Not by feeling, but by faith. That was not in my notes. Okay. <clears throat> How can you tell the difference between the true and false revival? Because there's going to be a true revival. If there's going to be a true revival, it would only make sense that the devil would do his before or after. Before. If you're going to fool people, you can't do it after the fact. You've got to do it before the fact. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. What, what name are they calling on? Lord. The Lord. They're not, you know, not anybody who says Satan, Satan. No, Lord, Lord. They're calling out in the name of the Lord, but they will not all enter the kingdom of heaven. But who does the will of my Father in heaven? Is that talking about faithfulness to his word? Is that talking about obedience? Is that about trusting him with everything that I have? Love always leads to obedience. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in your name? I want you to really think about this verse. Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Not any crazy name. Lord, in your name. Haven't I done all those things? And what does he say? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. How did he never know them? Apparently, just because you're doing something in the name of the Lord doesn't necessarily mean the Lord's in it. Just because you're doing something in the name of the Lord. I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. If you love me, how come you didn't obey? Mercy. The evidence is not what they claim to do in his name. The evidence is in an obedient life. That's the evidence. That's the evidence. An obedient life. God may choose to leave me down here ministering to these people over here, or He may choose to raise a person up to minister to thousands, but ultimately it's up to God. My job is faithfulness to God, period. And the fruit is His his deal as well, not mine or yours or anybody else's. Our job is to surrender. I want you to go preach to thousands. I don't want to go preach to thousands. (laughs) Are you surrendered? Then you're going to go. Well, your job is to stay here and minister to your neighbor. I'm going to go preach to a thousand. No, you need to surrender and preach to your neighbor. Isaiah 8.20, to the law and the testimony, if they do not speak. This is in, in accordance to how do we know between true and false revivals? This is a very key text. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word. Right here, the Bible it's because there is how much light in them? No light. This is the litmus test. If they're not speaking according to truth in this word, throw it out. That's what it's saying. You can't trust people that are not faithful to God's word. Well, I'm faithful to most stuff. We need to be faithful to all things. It doesn't mean we're perfect or any of those kinds of things. It simply means we're trying to do our best to live up to the light that has been given to us right here. And when God reveals something to us, whether it be corporately or whether it be individually, in my own morning devotions, God reveals something. Really? Is that that the case? Lord, forgive me. I have to surrender. That's the whole idea, is this attitude of surrender, 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 surrender. And if it's not according to this law and the testimony, there's no light in them. The Bible says to the law, the Ten Commandments, the testimony of Scripture, if they are not teaching in harmony with God's law, it is because there is no light. If the devil wanted to unite people religiously, what vehicle might he use? And we already touched on this. In the early church, he used the day of the sun and Sunday worship. And it worked for him quite well. We've looked at this quote already. To conciliate the pagans to nominal Christianity, Rome, pursuing its usual policy, took measures to get the Christian and pagan festivals amalgamated, come together, and to get paganism and Christianity not far sunk in idolatry, in this, as in so many other things, to shake hands. We've done it before. We've had our test run. It worked out quite nicely for us. We'll make a few course corrections, and we're going to do it again. And so this wall of separation between church and state, I believe bricks are starting to come off of this wall. And I believe they're going to continue to come off of this wall. Because I say so? No. God's word says so. I believe. <clears throat> this is the former chief justice here, William Ren, uh, Rehnquist. He passed away, I think, in what, 2005 or something? Um, Former Chief Justice says the wall of separation between church and state is a metaphor based on bad history. Former Chief Justice, highest court of the land, church and state, separation, bad history. Interesting. Um, The St. Louis Dispatch, October back in 1991, as the second century of the Bill of Rights draws to a close, the Supreme Court is redefining what religious liberty will mean in the third century. Hmm. Hmm. Broadly, the court's new approach helps conventional religions while hurting unconventional ones. Interesting. This is who we have on the Supreme Court now, except uh, he passed away just recently. Um, Scalia, thank you. And John Roberts here. You know, you're appointed to this position for life. He's not very old. Um, What is he, late 50s maybe? Maybe almost 60. The other thing I find interesting is that of all the people we have here, six of the nine Supreme Court justices, and I'm talking before he passed away, were Catholic. Six of the nine were Catholic, when only a fourth of the population in this country is Catholic. So now you don't have six of nine, you just have five of eight. Do they still have majority? And the other, others are Jews. How many Protestants, then, do we have on the Supreme Court? None. 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 Fourth of the country, yet they have the majority of our Supreme Court. Deciding the laws of the land for you and for me, I find that a little bit disturbing. Uh, Justice William O. Douglas, uh, former justice, it seems to be plain that by these laws the states compel. He's talking about blue laws, actually. Uh, Sunday blue laws that are still on the books by these blue laws we could say the states compel one under the sanction of law to refrain from work or recreation on Sunday because of the majority's view on that day the state law makes Sunday a symbol of respect or adherence so you could even go back and say hey we've we've done this we just haven't really enforced it why didn't we enforce it well let's enforce it oh my church and state this beast power Back to Revelation 13, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. We're talking about a Sunday law. I think it will come in waves. First, it will be strongly encouraged. Even now, it's being encouraged a little bit. Uh, and we'll look at that in a minute. And then it will be come along, come and be part of this movement that we're doing and eventually I think it will be why aren't you falling in line why can't you join us why can't you just gather together on Sunday and open your building let's pray I thought you were Christian and it'll go further and further until eventually y'all are a bunch of bigots you're the one these judgments continue to fall we're going to talk about the seven last plagues right up in this room tomorrow morning the judgments continue to fall and it's your fault you're not falling in line and you have legislation, and and first they're taking away rights and various things until eventually it's death penalty. You might think I'm crazy. You might walk out of here and never come back. But just keep watching the news. And don't wait until it's too late. Because as these things happen, everything in your senses will say, I want to go with the crowd. But we'll talk a little bit more tomorrow how the crowd doesn't end up on top. They don't. God ends up winning again. And his chosen people that are faithful and obedient to his word come out on top as well. So He has granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast, Sunday worship, to be What? I didn't say that. The Bible said that. Is that a metaphor for something? Yeah, it's called not breathing. (laughs) Right? Pat Robertson, this is a little bit old, I suppose, but it's still interesting to me. He ran for president at one point. The New World Order. Still a relatively popular book. The next obligation that a citizen of God's world order owes is to himself. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy as a commandment for personal benefit of each citizen. Sorry to sound very similar to what the Pope is saying now. Higher civilizations rise when people can rest and draw inspiration from God. Laws in America that mandate a day of rest sounds very much like what we were just looking at in the Bible, have been nullified as a violation of the separation of church and state, as an outright insult to God and his plan. Insult to God and his plan. Why don't you come alongside? Only these policies that can be shown to have a clearly secular purpose are recognized. So he's beating this drum. Boom, 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 boom. How about this? Associated Press. Pope says, no work Sundays are good, not just for faithful This is July 5, 2014. Um, Then you have this, the encyclical. And the date on this is June 18, 2015. So not even a year ago, encyclical. The planet is at a breaking point, says Pope Francis. One of the major solutions, everybody needs to take a day off. Get back to God, get back to family. As the Pope said it recently, uh, do nothing with your kids or something like that. He's just kind of throwing it out there, letting it marinate a little bit. And when all these disasters and everything, remember when I said all hell breaks loose, they're going to be looking, and he's already going to have laid quite the groundwork. And he's already been doing that, I believe, this last visit. In this encyclical, it says, Sunday, like the Jewish Sabbath, is meant to be a day which heals our relationships with God, with ourselves, with others, and with the world. And so the Pope encourages the people to bring healthy pressure... What was the word? Healthy pressure to bear on those who wield political, economic, and social power. Do you think that has something to do with him coming to the United States? He's just going to apply a little bit of healthy pressure <laughs> while they give him a standing ovation. And you have all these Protestant leaders. You have Rick Warren. You have Joel Olstein, You have, uh, what's this guy right here? Kenneth Copeland. Kenneth Copeland that's right. And this guy actually passed away in a a motorcycle accident, help me with his name, Tony Palmer. He was big on trying to pull everybody together, so you have all these Protestants and he's making all these inroads with all these Protestant groups. And Tony Palmer's big drum that he was beating was that that the the Reformation is over. We don't have anything to object anymore, let's just all come together. Even uh, Obama says this I welcome His Holiness Pope Francis' encyclical and deeply admire the Pope's decision to make the case clearly, powerfully, and with the full moral authority of his position for action on global climate change. People are viewing him as the moral authority of the world and saying we welcome his ideas. Uh, This heading here Pope Francis says, Obstinate Christians are rebels and idolaters. If you don't fall in line, and this is from the Vatican Radio, this is their thing, not our thing. This is their thing. Obstinate Christians are rebels. If you don't fall in line, you're a rebel. Maybe later we'll call you a bigot, for right now you're just a rebel. Um, And this was just two weeks ago. They do the dates backwards, that actually is April 7th in 2016. Catholics and Methodists walking together in service to the world. Who knows the next denomination is going to walk together, walk together, walk together until everybody's walking together. They're all on the same page. Does the Bible know? Does God know what He's talking about? Amen. How long are we going to sit on the fence and say, not going to happen? It's impossible, not going to happen. The land of the free and home of the braves. Let's go to Atlanta and watch a game. It's going to happen. In fact, I think it is happening, friends, right before our eyes. But we're just kind of asleep to it. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. So what do we have to do? We have to call on his name. We have to humble ourselves. We have to pray. We have to seek his face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's what God's calling us to do. He's looking, I believe, for men and women, boys and girls, young and old, who are faithful to him. Not because it's popular, not because it's the fad, not because of anything other than they want to Glorify God more than anything else in their life. That's what they want. They want to follow the scriptures totally and fully and completely. And so that means they spend time in His Word. They spend time in prayer. They spend time studying these things, asking the questions Is this true? (coughs) Praying, Lord, if this is true, give me a conviction, not a flighty impulse. I need a conviction. Impulse is here today, gone tomorrow. A conviction grows. Lord, if this is you speaking to me, I need you to to grow that conviction more and more and more and more. Cause me to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until I'm just fully, completely sold out to you. Revelation 14, 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. That's how Revelation describes God's in-time group of people. Keep the commandments of God and of the faith of Jesus. it's a lot of people that claim the faith of Jesus, but they're not interested in keeping the commandments of God. God says, if you love me, keep my commandments. I want to go real quickly here for, with a few slides about baptism. We haven't talked about that yet. But I believe baptism is a symbol of our commitment and our loyalty and our allegiance to Jesus Christ. Baptism. We have this verse, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. There's a whole bunch of verses. I just picked out a few of my favorites. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Some of the last words on Jesus' lips. Before he goes to heaven, that's what he tells us. He says, all authority is given to me under heaven and earth. How much authority is that, by the way? That's a lot of authority. And he says, go and make disciples. And when God says go, that's a command, right? I believe we're, we're really making a huge mistake when God tells us to do something and we don't do it. Make disciples, be baptized, do everything I've asked you to do. So baptism is mentioned more than 80 times in the New Testament. And when we're baptized, we declare our allegiance We take a public stand. We show whose side we're on. That's why it's a public service because you're making a commitment before a group of people and it's saying, please keep me accountable. We'll keep you accountable. We'll be part of the family of faith and we don't just baptize into Jesus. We baptize into a church. And if we had time, we could study that. If you have a question, I'll be happy to study that with you. But you don't adopt a child just into the country. You adopt a child into your family. And so when God, when you, you say, I want to pledge myself to you, God, I want to be part of your family, he says, okay, I'm going I'm to pull this church around you. And they'll be there to lift you up at times. And you'll be there to lift them up at times, to keep each other accountable, keep all of us on the straight and narrow. Because we all need to be part of a family, not be orphans out there, right? Um, Ephesians 4, 5 says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism well, how was Jesus baptized? That's probably the only example we really need. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. He wasn't sprinkled. They didn't do anything with roses or anything else. It was by immersion. In fact, the Greek word baptism is baptizo, to dip under. You need to have a fair bit of water to dip under. It doesn't have to be huge, but it has to be enough. Now, John also saw baptism, was, sorry, also was baptizing, in Anon, near Salim, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. So what's the meaning of Bible baptism? I love this verse, Romans 6, 3 and 4. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? This idea that I'm crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me right? Let's finish this verse. So we're baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. We're buried into the watery grave, we say sometimes, of baptism. And then it says that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We come out of the water. We take that first breath. (sighs) And it symbolizes that, Lord, I'm on your side. Does that mean I'm perfect? I'm never going to mess up? I'm never going to have to ask? No, it doesn't. It's very similar to a marriage. You might get married. Somebody here might be getting married this summer. I'm counseling some couples, or one couple anyway that's getting married this summer. It doesn't mean they're never going to mess up again. It doesn't mean they're not going to have to ask for forgiveness. But it means they're committed to each other. And part of that commitment is, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? Be obedient to the wedding vows to this covenant that we've made before God and before our families. That's what baptism is. So baptism doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you're committed. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. What if I have this nagging sin in my life? Do I have to get rid of it? Well, I would say this. I don't believe we should go into the baptismal tank trying to defend any sin. Not defending it. Now, it might be that you've said, Lord, I want to give you this thing. You know about this thing. I don't want to do it anymore. Take it away from me. Okay, so how long do you have to go without doing that thing before you can be baptized? I'm not so much concerned with how much time. I'm more concerned with your level of commitment and surrender. The inverse of that is if I go in there defending it. That's not that big a deal. Why are you harping me? Calm down. Leave me alone. See the difference? I'm not surrendered. But if I'm surrendered to God, I say, take me to the water to be baptized. Take me to the water. I want to commit my life to you. I want to be in a covenant relationship with you. Does that make sense? And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away. Calling on His name, Acts 22, 16. And so I believe God is calling to us. And I'm going to ask Judy Bailey to come forward. She's going to play the harp. And I know that this is maybe a scary thing. But, you know, if Jesus could hang up on that cross, naked for you and I, and bear your sin and my sin, all of our sin, I think that we owe it to Him to stand before men. Don't you? To make a stand. And so maybe there's somebody here that says, I'd like to be baptized. I've learned some new things. And you're still going to keep learning new things, I promise. But you've learned enough new things, you say, I, I need to commit my life to God. I need to recommit my life to God through baptism. That doesn't mean we're going to baptize you tomorrow. It doesn't mean we're going to baptize you next week. We want to make sure all your questions are answered. We don't want you to become part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and then all of a sudden... You say, you do what? You believe in what? No, we want to make sure you know what you're getting into. So we'll sit down, we'll talk together, we'll answer your questions. We might even study some other things we haven't had a chance to go over. But if you feel convicted by the Holy Spirit to come forward, you're saying, I want to continue on this path with Jesus Christ. I want to be surrendered to Him. I want to put my will on the side of Jesus Christ. If that is anyone here in this room, I just want to invite you to come forward and join me right up here. You don't have to stand here the whole time. You can just slip right here in one of these chairs. And I'm going to have special prayer with you. And maybe you've been baptized before, but you've walked away. You've basically divorced God for whatever reason, and you say, I need to be remarried to God. I want to be baptized as well. It would be appropriate for you to come forward. So I'm just going to invite you to listen as Judy plays the harp. Spend some time in prayer and just simply ask and surrender. Say, God, what do you want me to do? Is this call for me? And if it is, I would invite you to slip forward and just come into one of these chairs here. want to make another call another plea I would submit to you there's no better time than right now I'll do it tomorrow you may not have tomorrow I may not have tomorrow well I don't want to go up and sit in one of those chairs everyone will think all kinds of things about me they'll be happy for you they'll be thrilled for you because you'll be making the best decision you've ever made And spiritual decisions can be hard decisions to make, believe me. But if you surrender, if the Holy Spirit is pleading with your heart and you surrender, you'll sleep better tonight than you've ever slept before. So I want to give you one more opportunity to come forward. Noticed already? There's also a card on your table. You might say, Pastor, this is too much for me. I, you just don't have, know how much I'm afraid to come forward. Okay, I need to speak up. To speak up. You having a hard time hearing me? This is simply a decision card, and it's just a place there to put your name. And there are several boxes. There's four boxes you can check. I believe Jesus is calling me to a deeper commitment to Him and His Word. If you believe that to be true. Check that box. Second one, I would be interested in learning more through Bible study or the pastor's class on Sabbath morning. If that's the case for you, check that box. If you want to do Bible studies and the pastor's class, you can check both those boxes too. You say, you know, I, I like what I'm hearing, but I need more information. I'm fine with that. I want you to have more information. The third box is I'd like to talk more about baptism. I know we went through that a little bit quickly. I'm just not sure about it. Check that box. But the last box is is perhaps for somebody who maybe is a little shy and they feel like they should have come up. And you still can. But if that's too much, you can check that last box. I've decided to follow Jesus and commit fully to Him through baptism and join the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Again, this wouldn't happen tomorrow or next week. We're going to get together. We're going to continue to talk about this. But this is your way of saying, I want to commit fully, 100%. I'm in. And so I would invite everybody at your table. There's a box there for everybody to check, I hope. Um, if there's not, just put your name on it and turn it upside down. That's fine, too. But I'm going to give you just a moment to fill this card out. You can just fold that up and you can leave it there on the table. You're welcome to give it to me if you like, but you're fine just leaving it right there on the table. Fold it up and we'll gather those up when we're done. But let's just pray. Is that okay? Dear Heavenly Father, we've had another very heavy topic tonight. And for those that have heard this for the first time, Lord, it can be quite startling hard to wrap our minds around. Is this true? Is this possible? Is this really what your word has to say? Lord, if this is truth, I pray that you will continue to reveal it to us, that this conviction will only continue to grow more and more and more because we want to be settled and grounded in the truth. We want to follow the lamb wherever he goes. We want to be faithful to you and we want to honor you and obey you because we love you. And so, Lord, I just pray for each person here. I believe our time is short. At any time, a natural disaster, an earthquake, uh, and any number of things could send our economy plummeting, could cause us to be upside down very quickly as a nation and even around the world. And these things could happen in a matter of weeks. Lord, I don't feel like we have time to lose. And even if that's not the scenario, even if it's another 5, 10, 20 years down the line, it could be all over for us. In just any minute, that's right. So Lord, we want to seal our commitment with you tonight. And Lord, I just want to raise my hand and say, Lord, I'm committed to you. And maybe there's others here that say, Lord, I just want to commit myself to you it's not about what I bring, but that I'm clinging to you. And I'm asking for your robe of righteousness to cover me and to empower me to live for you and to honor you, to follow you, to obey you. So that no matter what comes, my faith in you and your power sustaining me will get me through to the very end. That's what we want. And that's what we pray tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.